0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5:59 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of April 2021. That's right. It's 420 bitches. 420 It's Doge Day. If you can believe such things, welcome to error code 405 of Bitcoin and 405 is method not allowed. An HTTP response status code that indicates that the request method is known by the server, but is not supported by the target resource. Oh, I hope my target is on target today. Oh, I don't know. God, I got to get rid of I I got to stop with the whole radio shit. <laughs> anyway. Let's get into it, man. Let's just start this shit off. Latest Bitcoin crash shows buy the dip mentality among big investors, Nydig says. I have a tendency to listen to what Nydig says. There seem to be one of the newer yet, um, I don't know, most responsible people in the space. We'll we'll see if that lasts. <clears throat> this is Coindesk's Dominic Dante uh, saying that, quote, Our desk has been a net purchaser over the past 24 to 48 hours. Greg Cipolaro, global head of research at Nydig, a Bitcoin focused investment manager, wrote on Monday in an email to subscribers. Cipolaro published the comments after Bitcoin tumbled from a record high of 64,000 last week to as low as 51,500 early on Sunday. The largest cryptocurrency was changing hands around 55400 as of 4.37 UTC. That would be 12.37 p.m. Eastern Time. Bitcoin's price is still up 89% this year amid speculation that big investors are using. The largest cryptocurrency as a hedge against inflation following trillions of dollars of coronavirus-related economic stimulus over the past year by governments and central banks around the world. Quote, Institutional investors have had a buy-the-dip mentality during these risk-off events, suggesting increasing ease with handling Bitcoin's volatility, wrote Cipollaro. Quote, we believe the root cause of the sell-off had to do with investor positioning rather than fundamental news. Simply put, traders were over-leveraged and positioned long, resulting in forced liquidations. yeah degenerates. Cipollaro also noted significant BTC spot price discounts on Binance compared to Coinbase. The difference in spot, which is usually really tight, reached nearly 3% at one point. To us, these data points are indicative of selling pressure in Asia rather than North America. And they've got a chart showing the spot premiums between uh what is it uh uh coinbase versus binance and yes in, in fact there was quite a, a spike to balance the premium or to balance the difference between premiums right around what was it eleven or what's like what was it yeah twelve between eleven forty seven and like twelve fifty nine a.m or eleven yeah eleven forty one pm and twelve fifty nine a m there was a hell of a spike off of uh, Coinbase uh, premium shooting up to match Binance's premium. So, you know, the, all the FUD that we heard about, it really does, you know, the more that I read about it, the more it does look like you had a bunch of degenerates that entered the space, figured out that they could go long on leverage and got their asses handed to them. And this is what I hate about newbies coming into the space. It's like, they just discover all this shit. That we stay away from. <laughs> I mean, not all of us stay away from it, but uh, good guts and feather. And even the people that l- l- okay, here's the thing. if you've been in the space for a while and you're degenerate trading, you still have learned enough lessons to know how to properly leverage leverage. All right? Because I remember back in the days when you could just go 100 you know 100x long on what Bitmex and people were getting just eaten alive left and right like every single day and now i i don't see that as much anymore i certainly well i'm seeing it well i'm seeing it over the last couple of months but before that i really wasn't seeing you know in our consolidation phases i really wasn't seeing a whole bunch of degeneracy i'm seeing it now and i think that that has more that's more indicative of new retail coming online discovering trading and then god forbid just discovering leverage. You know, this is a tool that professional traders have been using for years and they know better. Not all of them, I get it. I I know. They're 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 degenerates too. I've got my my issues with with trading stocks and derivatives and credit default swaps and all that shit. But by and large, I would suggest that over on Wall Street and out in London, you know, in the financial meccas of the of the world, that these leverage tools are being used by degenerate gamblers, but to a much more effective degree, without the kinds of losses that we see until they build up in like a two thousand eight event, and then everybody gets their asses handed to them. So, from that standpoint, they're you know this retail crew that's coming in is absolutely no better, but they get wiped out on the short term. They're not able to to hold their shit long enough to be a long-term investor because they keep getting their asses handed to them. Don't be one of the people that get their asses handed to them. Don't use leverage. If you can get away from it, don't even trade. Just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin because the PBOC may be doing that. We're not sure, but the Federal Reserve officials provide optimistic commentary on Bitcoin as well as the PBOC. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine written by Dylan LeClaire. <clears throat> Last week, spokespeople from two of the world's largest and most significant central banks, Robert Kaplan of the Federal Reserve and Bai of the People's Bank of China, or PBOC, provided insight into their views on Bitcoin and how the central banks currently think of the asset. Kaplan, the current president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and prior member of the Federal Open Market Committee, had this to say during Texas A&M's University May's Business School's Bitcoin conference, quote, Right now, it's clear it's a store of value. It obviously moves a lot in value, which could keep it from spreading too far as a medium of exchange and wide adoption. But that can change, end quote. Holy shit. That's a bullish quote. Kaplan's remarks are quite significant. (laughs) Do you you think? As the acknowledgement of Bitcoin as a store of value further legitimizes the asset that earlier in the year crossed $1 trillion in market capitalization. Additionally, Li Bo, a deputy governor of the PBOC, had this to say at the Bayo Forum for Asia regarding Bitcoin and cryptocurrency assets, quote, We believe that Bitcoin and stablecoins are encrypted assets. Encrypted assets are an investment option, not currency itself. It is an alternative investment, not currency itself. Therefore, we believe that crypto assets should play a major role in the future, either as an investment tool or as an alternative investment end quote. All right, I know, we went through this a little bit yesterday, but let's let's continue on because this shit's kind of kind of important. The comments can be seen as strong statements of support from officials working at two of the largest central banks of the two dominant global superpowers. The dynamic becomes even more interesting as talks of game-theoretic competition between China and the United States has picked up in recent weeks, with comments from technologist Peter Thiel and U.S. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy fanning the flame, for instance, quote, Bitcoin is something that those who regulate Those who are in government that make policy better start understanding what it means for the future because other countries are moving forward, especially China. I do not want America to fall behind. I want the next century to be ours, McCarthy said recently. It is obvious to those with an understanding of Bitcoin that there is great geopolitical significance in regards to nation states adopting this thing. And the comments over the weekend provide yet... Another interesting development in the acceptance of Bitcoin as a monetary asset in the legal, or sorry, the legacy financial system. What does it mean? It means they're coming to grips with the fact that they can't stop it. There's only one way to stop it, and you can't even stop it then because there's other avenues. But you got to shut down the world's internet, not just a country's internet. You got to shut down the whole world's internet. And if you were to do that, you would like, yeah, we're all watching Minneapolis or wherever that, that cop that kneeled on that dude's neck and killed his ass, uh, looks like, uh, Maxine Waters really fucked that shit up by saying that people should get more confrontational if a non-guilty plea or a no guilty plea is, is entered into the court registry. Uh, yeah, she fucked that up pretty bad. I've, I've, I'm like, at that point, that's, you know that that meme that's like that's bait. <clears throat> Here it's nah, uh that's hubris, and that's what happens when these people just run around uncontrolled. Now, how does that fit in? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. But oh, oh, I know how it is. If you think if if they do enter in a not guilty plea, Maxine Waters aside, is not going to matter. Those town towns are going to start burning again. Now. You think that's bad, and it is. Cut off the world's internet all at once to get rid of Bitcoin and and all cryptocurrencies. You want to watch cities burn? Oh, you will see cities burn. You will see cities burn to the ground. It will take a while to get started. I give it a week of no streaming, no internet, no being able to pay your bills, no DoorDash, no being able to get an Uber, Nothing, Because even your cell phones go down and all you'll be able to do is make a phone call. You want to watch cities burn? Take out the internet. You'll see cities burn. You think Maxine Waters and her group of miscreants are bad? Oh, you just wait, pal. I think what these people are starting to figure out is that every single aid that they've sent out to research this shit, every single think tank that they've asked questions to, about how to stop this shit, are coming back with returns that basically say you can't. They finally figured it out, guys. You're fucking hosed. And the only thing that you can do is cut off the internet and you'll watch cities burn. So I wouldn't suggest doing that. Second, let's say they do and cities do start burning. They better take out all the satellite networks because Bitcoin's on satellite they better kill every single radio state or radio transmitter in the world because ham radios can transmit bitcoin transactions and it will not take very long for us to figure out how to bootstrap a mesh network that allows mining to just occur as normal albeit at a much reduced hash rate but then it would be even more difficult to 51 percent the the thing because everybody else would have to be using the mesh network as well to try to attack the main Bitcoin mining network. There's no way to win. There, the, the only way to win is not to play the game. And that goes for the governments. For the first time in the history of humanity, we have a situation on our hands that suggests, it doesn't guarantee, but it suggests that power may have actually spun out to the people for the first time in centuries, millennia probably. And I've never, I mean, I, do you really need a government to build a fucking road? Was it, well, like roads were never, like until the inception of the United States government, that there weren't roads pre-Civil or pre-Revolutionary War. Do you think the British sent their road crews over to build those roads before the American Revolution? I think not. So who built the roads? Somebody was moving something somewhere so the the marodes you know argument is bullshit anyway it's just i don't know i just think that what's going on here is that they're starting to cozy sound like they're cozying up to bitcoin because they know that there's no way to really win this so they better figure out a way to dupe us into letting into following their regulations and their regulations are literally a it's like thinking you're safe being locked in your house and somebody with a hammer standing on the other side of your glass door just staring at you. That's about how safe governments are when it comes to whatever veneer of regulations they can put in place of, of Bitcoin. They can do it with banking because they fully control that network. From central banks to, the, to the, the Bank of International Settlements all the way down to your retail commercial banks like Wells Fargo and shit. They control everything. They control the flow of money in and out. They control the flow of money from bank to bank. They control everything. They do not control this. So any regulations they put in place is something they'll actually have to catch you red-handed at. And if you know how to do it, you're not going to get caught. I don't say that lightly because I know that if somebody says, oh, well, David says that nobody can get caught. Bullshit, you can get caught. I'm just saying... In my opinion, it looks to me like they're they're thinking a, a thin veneer of glass is going to save them from the marauder that's outside with the hammer. Let's continue on. <clears throat> Obi Nwosu has this piece called Difficult by Design that was published this morning in BTC Times. Obi, as you know, is the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor, just so you know. I like reading his stuff because he's a very, well, very well-written very well gentleman, in my opinion. Democracy is messy, frustrating, and at times infuriating, but at least it's fair, right? In a democracy, we'll all get to say in who governs us, and and, and the vote to uh, of the poorest, most marginalized citizen carries the exact same weight as that of the peer of the realm. Well, up to a point... There are many reasons why democracy is the worst system of government, except for all the others that have been tried, not least because a very small number of people often wield an inordinate amount of power. Readers who remember the 2000 U.S. presidential election will recall that just 537 Floridians put George W. Bush into the White House instead of Al Gore, and in the U.K.'s most recent general election, the conservatives' landslide was won on the votes of less than 30% of the electorate. Democracy has taken a battering in recent years, including in the UK, where almost half the population disagreed with the EU referendum. The result, when a contest of such moment and magnitude are just, are decided by such fine margins, the wounds they cause cut all the deeper. Which brings us to Bitcoin, which isn't just the future of money, but can also teach our society a great deal about how we can improve on democracy. If that sounds like hyperbole, then I offer the development of taproot as exhibit a don't worry i'm not going to get technical because although taproot represents the first major update to bitcoin's infrastructure since segwit in 2017 what's really interesting is how it's being implemented and what this tells us about governance and where power resides within the bitcoin ecosystem taproot involves improving upon bitcoin's legacy transaction signature algorithm with something called Schnorr signatures with the purpose of increasing privacy and delivering greater capabilities to the network, including supporting more complex transactions known as smart contracts, it's set to be one of the most significant advances in Bitcoin's architecture yet, and support is unanimous throughout the community. There's just one problem for several months now the community has been arguing arguing about how to add it to the network <laughs> not that it should be added we all agree on that it's how it gets added it's it's like human it's like the human condition absolutely refuses to do anything easy i don't know man. it's bizarre anyway and this lack of consensus has delayed taproot long past the date where it could have been implemented so So far, so bad, not in the slightest. The ponderous process of coming to consensus is not a bug of Bitcoin, it's a feature, and probably one of its most significant superpowers. Plenty of scorn has been thrown at Bitcoin for its supposedly sclerotic, even ossified consensus building. Ethereum fanboys point to their own culture of moving fast and fucking shit up, which, admittedly, makes for much faster development and implementation. But in Ethereum, decisions are taken by a very small, very select group of leaders who are much more equal than others, a little George Orwell reference. It is what I would call a Benjamin Franklin democracy, where two wolves and a lamb vote on what's for dinner. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is not just the closest thing to perfect money. It's also the nearest we've come to a perfect democracy, far more so than any system we currently use for choosing who governs us when our community debates change that will affect everyone every vote really does count the same that's why it's taken us so long to agree on speedy trial the method with which we are going to implement taproot into the network this is bitcoin's philosophy in numerous writ large which makes us strong, (laughs) can also make us move slower than rival cryptos, but we get there, and in doing so, we put the workings of our unique democracy on full display, showing that every voice has equal weight and change can only be affected through ultra-majoritarianism. Yes, it can make progress slow going at times, but this difficulty is by design. It makes Bitcoin invulnerable to a coup by any would-be dictator or oligarchy that seeks to seize control and start implementing fundamental far-reaching changes that damage the interest of other parts of the community. Pause. I run the software for Bitcoin that I choose to run on my node. If I fall out of consensus, then I'm kind of hosed. I will never, ever ever run software on my node that supports the Bitcoin network that will do anything to screw the 21 million cap, increase the block size, anything like that. I mean, not unless I am fully fucking informed and I am very, very certain that this is the way that the community is swinging because I don't want to be out of consensus. However, if an implementation were to come down the pipe from say the Federal Reserve, and they said everybody that's a Bitcoin user needs to update their node to this software, guess what I'm gonna say? Sit and spin, brother. I'm not running your code, ever. In fact, I will teach my children exactly how to implement the code when they're they're old enough to really start truly understanding what all this means, because they are not right now. And no, your seven-year-old, your 11-year-old does not have the brain power to understand exactly what all this means not because of code, not because of math, because of global geopolitical shit. It's almost impossible for full-scale adults to understand that. But when they do, when they start coming of age, I will make sure that when it's their turn to support the Bitcoin network, that they are not going to run code that fucks with Bitcoin. All right? Continuing, all democracies claim to count every vote. Only in Bitcoin does your, my, and every else, everyone else's vote truly count. And while it might delay decision-making a little compared with other cryptos, it ensures we're always going in the right direction. Another reason why Bitcoin remains streets ahead of other digital currencies and continues serenely down the road to hegemony. Oh, and I really wish he wouldn't have ended that section with hegemony because that's exactly what we're trying to get away from. Anyway, let's see what do we got left. Okay, uh, he's got a second section. He always writes these two uh, two section things, and the other one's about Turkey. But we got to move on because Three IQ gets green light for Middle East first Nasdaq Dubai Bitcoin fund. That's right, Nasdaq is putting a Bitcoin fund smack dab in Dubai, and Scott Cipollina tells us more about it from Decrypt, Canadian asset manager from firm Three IQ has received clearance from regulators to bring its Bitcoin fund to NASDAQ Dubai per Reuters. The Bitcoin fund, which was listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange last year, will be the first indexed cryptocurrency fund in the Middle East. Uh, It holds approximately $1.5 billion in assets under management. And according to a Reuters interview with 3iQ chairman and CEO Frederick Pye, it plans to double this figure next year. Quote, the idea is Bitcoin trades 24 hours a day. So our interest is to bring a regulated product to the Dubai market in their time hours. Yeah, it's not about Dubai. It's about making sure this shit is spread out across the time zones, guys. Per Reuters, the 3iQ Bitcoin fund is expected to start trading on NASDAQ Dubai in the second quarter of this year. What's more, the asset management firm is already in talks with exchanges in Singapore, Taiwan, Sweden, and the United States to list the 3iq Bitcoin fund in those jurisdictions. The aim is to offer customers access to crypto around the clock in all time zones. Quote, we believe that this is the opportune moment to expand this unique investment opportunity into the Middle East region, Pi added. 3iq's move into the Middle East is just the latest example of a growing wave of institutional investment in Bitcoin Ever since software firm MicroStrategy put $425 million into Bitcoin last summer, institutional investors have piled into the cryptocurrency with Bitcoin funds springing up to service the growing market. As well as 3iQ's Bitcoin fund, the Grayscale Bitcoin fund, per figures gathered this month, represents approximately $37 billion worth of privately held Bitcoin, while the SkyBridge Capital Bitcoin fund launched in January this year grew by $370 million in its first few weeks. Even Morgan Stanley, one of the world's largest financial institutions, recently announced that it will offer some of its investors access to Bitcoin funds, but clients must meet a $2 million threshold to qualify. Dude, just buy the Bitcoin and hold it yourself. And you don't have have to step through those hoops. That's gatekeeping is what that shit is. The wholly accredited investor thing, all that tells you is that you're too stupid to do this. I will say that I'm too stupid to use leverage longs to my benefit because I'm going to get wiped out, but I'm not too stupid to be able to buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. While Bitcoin funds are popular financial projects today, some, including SkyBridge Capital COO, Brett Messing, have suggested that the emergence of a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund would put his and conceivably other private funds out of business. It's perhaps unsurprising then that SkyBridge Capital has since supplied for a Bitcoin ETF, with grayscale following in their path. Uh, Yeah. So Dubai is going to get some, we're going to get like uh, these exchanges are going to go live in every single time zone. Uh, They are really going to, here's where leverage comes in. What they're leveraging is the fact that the earth is round, not flat. It's a sphere and it revolves and people like to be awake during the day. That they're leveraging by going to be putting uh, an exchange in every single time zone that there is so that there's no gapage. Here's some gappage. Actually, it's not gappage at all. It's about mining. Bitfarms plans 210 megawatt Bitcoin mining farm in Argentina. This is out of Coindesk and is being written by Cameron Hood. Publicly traded Bitcoin mining company Bitfarms has signed an agreement under which it can draw up to 210 megawatts of electricity for its planned mining facility in Argentina. The initial term of the contract with a private Argentinian power producer is eight years. The company said in an announcement on Monday with an effective cost of, good Lord, 2.2 U.S. cents per kilowatt hour. That's $0.022 per kilowatt hour for the electricity in the first four years. Bitfarms has previously signed a Memorandum of Understanding in October to develop a 60-megawatt mining operation in Argentina, noting a favorable year-round climate for the facility, which the firm said will be a significant contributor to its target of eight exahashes per second by the end of 2022 and provide geographic production diversification to reduce risk. Quote, Our planned expansion in Argentina is a continuation of our experience and our desire to deliver value to shareholders, said BitFarm's president, Jeffrey Morphy. The strategic expansion provides the scale and efficiency that we were seeking. With considerable low cost power available to us over many years, we can enhance our margin performance in the short term and ensure that we have a viable operation on which we can count through. And after the next halving event in 2024, Morphy said, according to the Bitfarm's announcement, the 210 megawatts is sufficient to support approximately 55,000 new generation miners, which could generate approximately 650 million of revenues or uh, dollars of revenue or 11,774 BTC based on current difficulty levels and a Bitcoin price of $55,000. BitFarms currently has five industrial-scale hydroelectric facilities in Quebec, Canada, with a combined capacity of 69 megawatts. The company is also preparing for a NASDAQ listing in a United States push. In recent months, BitFarms has purchased tens of thousands of Bitcoin mining machines as part of its wider expansion efforts. In early March, it disclosed plans to buy 400, or 48,000 micro-BT miners a substantial portion of those miners are destined for the Argentinian facility, the firm said on Monday. <clears throat> Bitfarms also announced on Friday that it had purchased an additional 1,996 new MicroBT miners, which will be installed through August and will provide an extra 160 petahashes per second once it's up and running, uh, according to Ben Gannon. Or sorry, no, Gagnon. Director of Mining Operations at Bitfarms, there has never been as as much capital ready to be used in North American markets as there is right now as a result of coronavirus lockdowns, he told Coindesk. Quote, how do you invest capital in a market like this? Bitcoin mining is the perfect candidate. It has quick ROIs, is capitally intensive, can utilize turnkey infrastructure, and produce an asset that requires no customers and is appreciating in value faster than anything else they can produce. dude. That's one hell of a sentence. (laughs) It has quick ROI, capitally intensive, can utilize turnkey infrastructure, produce an asset that requires no customers and is appreciating in value faster than anything else they can produce. Holy shit, that is one hell of a way to to structure that one, right? Anyway, the company isn't alone in its moves towards increasing the mining footprint of North American firms, other industrial scale miners such as Marathon, Riot, BlockCap, and more, have purchased tens of thousands of machines in recent weeks. On Monday, DMG Blockchain Solutions, another publicly traded Canadian Bitcoin company, uh, mining company, purchased 3,600 application-specific circuit or ASIC machines. So, you know, and here's the thing is that Argentina is about to default on global loans across the world. And they've done it before. And it it wasn't all that long ago that they did it. So the question becomes... Is it possible that this saves their ass? I don't know, man. We'll have to see. But in the meantime, let's run the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities tells us that we've got some flammable liquids that are, you know, moving up in value. I've got West Texas Intermediate up 0.09% to settle, or it's going to come in at $63.44, at least as of right now. Brent North Sea is going to come in at $67.21 a barrel. It is up a quarter of a point. Natural gas is down 0.8. Gold is up point, actually a fifth of a point, $1,773. I guess makes Peter Schiff a happy man. Silver is up a half a point, $25.96. Platinum is down a point. Copper is up a 3 quarter or uh, sorry, a third of a point. Palladium is down almost 2 points. All the agriculturals are up except for cocoa, which is down almost a half a point, but soybeans are up 1.55% and good god, sugar is up 2.65%. There's no inflation, y'all. There's no inflation whatsoever. Uh, Indices are all down uh, by about a third. Dow futures down a third. S&P futures down a third. And NASDAQ futures down a third. S&P mini is getting hit the hardest. It is down over half a point. And let's see. uh, 30-year futures on uh, treasuries are up by 0.14%. 10-year futures are up 0.08%. And the five-year futures are up 0.03%. So there you go. Now, real money. I got Bitcoin at $55,957. We've had 255,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours, and that's getting nominal. So I guess we've got some of our hash rate back. We have had about 10,646 transactions average every hour. I like it when it's between twelve and 13,000, just so you know. Uh, 534,000 BTC have been sent, or wait a minute, yeah. 534,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. 22,258 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour. And the average transaction value is 2 BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.027 BTC, or right around $1,500. Block time's getting better, but not great. 12 minutes. We have 2.33 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and get this... I do believe this very well may be an all-time high. <clears throat> 276.89 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. All right, let's look at that reward per block thing. 2.33 BTC are being taken in fees average every single block. The block reward subsidy is 6.25 BTC. So that's just given to you by the system for, for mining a successful block. Now we have on top of that 2.33 BTC. Fees are going ballistic, guys. But at one point or another, they're going to have to be able to match at price the subsidy that's given to the miners via the network for securing the network. So let's say that tomorrow is a halving. And we get you know three point one two five BTC being generated on a per block basis in subsidies. That's that two point three BTC is really close to being able to match that subsidy. But what would have to happen? The price of Bitcoin would have to be at around a hundred to hundred and ten thousand dollars for the same, basically the same situation that the miners can stomach. Just keep that shit in mind. Right now we have had. A, according to uh, BitInfo charts the mining the, the sorry the hash rate has fallen by almost 10% in the last 24 hours to level out somewhere around 118.663%. I have no idea if this is still attached to the the, the mining difficulties in China and their power outages but we just have to we'll just have to watch it but you know what I'm not going to worry about it. Why? Because it's not worth worrying about. Guess what? In somewhere between 8 and, and 15 minutes, another block is going to pop out. Tick tock, next block. Your shitcoin index, as usual, is Dogecoin, which is standing at 38.3 United States pennies. Go, go figure. Oh, and today is 420, which apparently has been taken away from all the potheads and renamed Doge Day. I don't know man some of these people need to go die. There's 113,000 transactions or 113, yeah 113,000 transactions waiting on 72 blocks to clear. We have still a 1.05 trillion dollar market cap. We are capturing 9.03% of gold's total market cap. And you will only be able to get 31.3 ounces of gold with a single Bitcoin, of which there are 18,686,779 and 70.71 BTC. We have 1,202.39 BTC in the Lightning Network, which is now valued at $67.3 million, being run over 10,639 nodes representing 42,303 channels that we can actually see. Percentage of Tor capacity has increased slightly, 57.9% of all Lightning Network is being routed over Tor. And that means that there is 696.34 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being held and transacted by 4,845 Tor nodes that we actually know about. I'm sure that there are more. It is TOR, by the way. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the Morning Roundup. Let's talk about the fees. Since we are on the subject, Helen Parts has this one out of Cointelegraph. Bitcoin transaction fees in U.S. dollars near all-time high levels. Bitcoin transaction fees, as measured in United States dollars, are at near 2017 levels amid a massive hash rate drop on the Bitcoin network. According to data from several Bitcoin monitoring sources, the average BTC transaction fee in US dollars is near the all time high recorded back in 2017. According to data from Blockchain Explorer Blockchair, the average cost of a Bitcoin transaction surged Tuesday to $58, bucks, approaching its all time high. Of above $62 recorded in December of 2017, popular Bitcoin monitoring source BitInfoCharts suggests that the current BTC fees have already broken its record of $54 in 2017 at 58 on April the 20th. Other sources, including major blockchain or block yeah blockchain explorer blockchain.com, also show that the average BTC transaction cost on April the 20th has hit 58 bucks. Despite several sources showing. Sorry, excuse me. Showing the current BTC transaction fee near 60, other sources show a much lower figure. Major Bitcoin Analytics website Clark Moody reports an average BTC fee of value in dollars over the last 2016 blocks of $27.50 at the time of writing. According to data from YCHARTS, the average Bitcoin transaction commission is $43 at publishing time after hitting $50 on April the 18th. Uh, BTC transaction fees hit over $50 in late 2017 when Bitcoin surged to $20,000 for the first time. At the time of writing, Bitcoin is trading at $55,190, following a correction from its all-time high of above $64,000 last week. The latest spike in BTC transaction fees comes amid a major decline in the Bitcoin network hash rate on April the 18th. Bitcoin saw the largest daily drop in the total BTC network hash rate since November of 2017, plummeting from 172 exahashes per second to around 154 exahashes per second. According to crypto observers, this decline is likely to be attributed to the massive power outages in the Chinese mining hub of Xinjiang. Amid spiking BTC transaction fees, some crypto exchanges have rushed to introduce less expensive ways to move Bitcoin around with OKX integrating the Lightning Network as of yesterday finally you know y'all are gonna need to we're okay not y'all all of us are gonna need to go to school on lightning a lot faster than i think we had hoped for and guess what it ain't easy i'm just saying and it's that's that shouldn't scare you off either i mean if you're not here on this planet to learn how to do new shit then why are you here that's an honest question that's not rhetoric man that's that's not being rhetorical That's a, that's a God's honest question. If you're just here waiting, you know, going to a normie job, hoping to God that your retirement account is fully funded with whatever magical number that you have to have before you can quit at 65 so that you can go, I don't know, wait in a chair to die. Then I suspect that you probably don't know how this shit works. This is supposed to be an adventure. Yes, you may die. You actually we're all certainly going to die, but you may die before your time. That's a that's a very real possibility. You may leave loved ones behind. It may be sad and horrible, but also life can be grand and, and explosive and beautiful and fun. And we've made life so unfun. We have literally, we've literally made this place just a goddamn it's like a skating rink where you just skate around in a circle. And honestly, I've never found skating rinks to be all that much fun outside of trying to pick up some chick. And nobody goes to skating rinks anymore, anyway. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Right now, everything is unfun. We have an entire industry that's staring us in the face that begs us to come and play. Go learn the Lightning Network. Where's a good place to start? Ring of Fire. I got Matt Odell into it yesterday. I was actually kind of proud of myself. But if you want to get in, DM me, bro. I got the invite link. Why, why ring a fire? Because it's a group of people that, are, that have come together that are trying to figure this out. And, in the, and, and the class project basically is to build a liquidity machine consisting of several different rings of nodes that are connected to each other with the exact same amount of Satoshis, one to another, all in a ring, And those rings attach to the other smaller or larger liquidity rings. And then that entire engine starts connecting to the outside uh, lightning network. And from the looks of it, it looks like it's just going to be able to produce liquidity. Not add coin. I'm just saying produce liquidity insofar that as these rings continuously exchange Satoshis around them between themselves and between other rings... It's going to act as a pump, a liquidity pump. And, and if you get a few of these going around, if you've got a few of these things, I think it's going to make the Lightning Network really, really, you know, w- work in a fashion that, that we all suspect that it can work. But liquidity is, is key. The only way to get liquidity is to get more people in the Lightning Network that are willing to stake up some, some of their Satoshis to provide that liquidity. And in the meantime, you got to worry about fee policy. What the hell is fee policy? I don't know. Come into the ring of fire and ask, hey guys, what is fee policy? And somebody somewhere will answer that question. They come in and say, how do I open channels? Somebody somewhere in ring of fire will answer that question. Why do I have to pay so much for the channel closing and opening? And why do and what is a channel closing and opening? Ask the question in ring of fire. All right. We're, we have this chance. And if we waste it, we may not get this chance again well within our lifetime. Spend the time, do the deed, take the hit, learn lightning. Let's move on. PayPal is adding $1 smash buys to Venmo. PayPal owned Venmo will now allow allow users to buy and send crypto, including Bitcoin and Ethereum in amounts as little as $1. So I guess it's not really smash buy. But Jeff John Roberts Roberts will explain more. PayPal gave the entire Bitcoin market a boost in March when it launched a new checkout with crypto option that lets customers pay merchants in cryptocurrency. Now the payment giant is poised to expand the reach of Bitcoin still further with a new crypto feature inside its popular peer-to-peer app, Venmo. On Tuesday, PayPal said it had begun rolling out a crypto button for its 77 million Venmo users. The button will let users instantly buy as little as $1 worth of Bitcoin Shitcoin, Shitcoin 2, and Shitcoin 3 and send it to its friends on the app uh, or send it to friends on the app. Customers will have the ability to buy and sell cryptocurrency using funds from their balance with Venmo or a linked bank account or debit card. All transactions are managed directly in the Venmo app, said the company in a statement announcing the news. The rollout of the crypto feature, which users can access by clicking on the menu in the upper right of the Venmo app, will also include a set of educational materials that the company says will demystify various aspects of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Um, we at Decrypt can't let this pass without noting that demystifying Bitcoin and a few other shit coins and the decentralized web is our slogan we use on all of our social accounts. Perhaps PayPal is borrowing from our dictionary. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have read that. The Venmo announcement is significant, not only because of the platform's size and rapid growth, The new crypto feature is also likely to have a broader impact because Venmo encourages users to share their activity in a social stream that's visible to others in practice. This means Venmo users will soon see messages like Alice sent Youssef $50 of Bitcoin, which could in turn serve as free publicity for crypto. Oh, that just, that rubs me so far the wrong way. I don't need to see what my contacts are sending to each other, guys. No, but you shouldn't want that shit either. Previous crypto-related PayPal announcements have led to surge uh, in prices of Bitcoin, though it's unclear if now the Venmo news will prove to be a similar market move uh, event, especially as a growing number of platforms move to integrate crypto offerings. The Venmo announcement did not include the cost of buying and using Bitcoin, but a spokesperson said the fees would be the same as for PayPal. Those fees begin at a flat 50 cent for transaction that's under $25, then span a range that begins at 2.3% for transactions under 100, and drops to 1.5% for those over $1,000. In order to facilitate crypto transactions, Venmo will rely on Paxos, a New York company that specializes in secure blockchain transactions for a variety of digital shitcoins, and which also provides the back-end for PayPal's crypto offerings. Since adding Bitcoin to its platform last year, PayPal CEO Dan Shulman has rapidly embraced the broader possibilities of crypto technology. In a recent interview with Decrypt, Shulman explained how he views crypto as part of the company's larger strategy to lower payment costs and create a super app experience that aspires to see customers deploy PayPal's wallet for everything from shopping to financial services to identification. Ooh, that's... Kind of, that's a little scary, man. Uh, Yikes. Uh. Meanwhile, the company has also been working to have customers treat Venmo as more than a payment app for peer-to-peer transactions. This effort includes encouraging merchants to accept Venmo payments and letting customers receive direct deposits into their Venmo accounts. The addition of crypto services may in time further the company's goal of having consumers view its digital wallets as all-in-one services, On a recent earnings call, Shulman singled out crypto and Venmo as two of PayPal's star business units. Shulman has also stated that he does not anticipate that PayPal will follow the the likes of Tesla and Square by adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet. Instead, he has indicated that he prefers to use the company's cash for acquisitions, including in the crypto sphere. One such recent acquisition was for crypto security firm Curve, which PayPal bought for nearly $200 million last month. Shulman has also disclosed that the company's crypto unit has been experimenting with a variety of shit blockchains, including Ethereum shit chain, as a means to improve payment efficiencies and lowers costs. The CEO also indicated that PayPal does not intend to compete with the likes of Coinbase in the crypto exchange business, but instead strategically partner with various companies to take advantage of different crypto opportunities. So shitcoinery is on the way from Venmo, I guarantee it. Oh, God. And speaking of, you know how I know Time Magazine. Remember when they had this, like, they wanted, like, a CEO that was familiar with blockchain? And I think they actually said Bitcoin, but, or somebody who was comfortable with Bitcoin, I think is what it was. Well, they've gone direct to shitcoinery. Sam Borgi tells us why Time Magazine is going to accept crypto payments for digital subscriptions using CRO. Yep, that's right. C-R-O. Coin Telegraph, in partnership with Crypto.com, a leading digital currency platform, Time Magazine is now accepting one-time crypto payments for its 18-month digital subscription. Users who elect to pay with Crypto.org coin or Crow will receive up to 10% cash back on their purchase. The digital subscription is valued at $49. Wait, let me just let me just hold right here for a sec. You know, there was a Time Magazine article that I wanted to put on, uh, the, uh, on the podcast yesterday. And of course, there was a paywall because I didn't have a subscription to this particular article or I didn't have a subscription. And this particular article was not, you know, free to view. Some of, the, some of these, you know, companies will do that. They'll select a few articles and let somebody read them. And then most of their stuff is put behind a paywall. I wouldn't mind if everything was put behind a paywall with an LNURL. What is that? Well, that allows them to just put up a one-time uh, payment QR code for the Lightning Network, and I can just pay it for my blue wallet, and I would have paid them 50 cents. I'm not paying 50 bucks for an 18-month subscription to Time Magazine. I don't care if they used Bitcoin at this point. That's I mean, My point is, why do I need a subscription when you have the technology to l- almost... Effortlessly unlock a article under a paywall that is specific to that particular user. You could, you could even, honestly, I'd, I hate to say it, but you know, if it's over Clearnet with IP, Time would actually be able to see how many times I used an lnurl because they might be able to generate the lnurl given my specific IP address as a seed to generate that lnurl and then when i pay that invoice they know it came from my ip now there's probably a, an easier way to do that but see what i'm saying it's just they're 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 missing out on everything because they're still beholden to a legacy financial fiat based system and subscription is a word that is firmly embedded in that legacy financial fiat system. It is an old model that we no longer need. Sphinx app is proving that. The Breeze wallet is proving that. What do I mean? I don't know. Go listen to my podcast and stream me sats on either one of those devices. Get the Breeze wallet. I mean, I like Sphinx too, but Breeze is brand new. Might as well learn how to use it. It's it's a, it's a lightning wallet and you load it with Satoshi's and then you pick my podcast in their wallet. You don't have to go anywhere else. You go to the podcast, you search for Bitcoin and ellipses or in parlance, Bitcoin and space dot, space dot, space dot. And you find my last podcast and you hit play and you set it to three sats per minute. And all of a sudden I start receiving Satoshi's and and you get to listen to the podcast it's a value for value transfer we don't need subscriptions anymore that's i mean honestly subscriptions are dead they just don't know it yet just saying you know honestly i can't imagine this one i i was floored when i when i read about this one from will gotsingen from decrypt i mean how on earth could this possibly have happened Obey artist Shepard Fairey warns of copycat NFT on Rarible. <gasps> who who on, who, on earth could have seen this coming? <sighs> Shepard Fairey, the artist behind former President Obama's Hope campaign poster, says an imposter account is selling his work as an NFT. On Twitter, he wrote that an unverified account with the handle Obey Giant Art was auctioning off one of his pieces on the NFT marketplace Rarible, uh, fairy's Twitter handle is Obey Giant. It's a tale as old as the internet itself. Impersonator accounts have been an issue on Twitter and Facebook since the very beginning. It's why blue check verification systems were first developed to tell the real accounts from the fake ones. The Fairy imposter was likely inspired by Fairy's actual NFT, which was released last month. NFTs are non-fungible tokens, and blah blah blah. Rarible is one of many NFT marketplaces that have benefited from the boom. It has been check-based verification system of its own, or it has a check-based verification system of its own. So if you bid on a fake fairy NFT, it's at least partially your own fault. But the confusion points to bigger questions with the craze around NFTs and digital ownership. What makes something the authentic NFT? Is something value valuable if you can just screenshot it? And what are copyright issues involved here? Or what are the copyright issues involved here? Defrauding any member of the Rarible community through impersonation is explicitly forbidden in the site's terms of service. The high bid for the fake fairy NFT is now just over $100. It's unclear, however, if the pseudonymous bidder, Marco VHNFT, knows they aren't buying an authentic fairy NFT. Rarible did not immediately respond to Decrypt's request for comment. Further, guys, um, this the end of the article, but that could be a shill account. You know, they used to have that shit all the time on eBay where the seller themselves had a different account and then they would go in and bid on whatever that particular seller was selling to bid it up to make it look, you know, like to get it into, uh, into the algorithm so it would mainstream itself to people's main pages. So we don't know if Marco VH NFT is actually the guy selling the, the piece or is really a rube that's about to get ripped off. But honestly, you're getting ripped off no matter what you do. Even if, even if it's the actual NFT from the actual artist itself, it still has almost no value because of the way NFTs are done right now. I'm, and I've said it before, I don't really have a problem with the concept of NFT itself but the way that it's being done right now is just kind of sick and and twisted. So anyway, uh, where are we at? Yeah, you know what? We better get on with this. I got a a couple of others here. Just so you know, Bloomberg's McGlone warns of predominant deflationary forces in play and that continued deflation and peak oil, similar to 2018, could be a negative for Bitcoin. So there's going to be some General market FUD that comes out today, so be aware that that's going to happen. And Doge Day. Yeah, I know. It's sad. They're trying to, some people got together and are trying to push Doge up to a dollar. It almost sounds like it's a a splinter group of Wall Street bets, but we'll have to see. If Doge gets to a dollar, I don't, I'm just, it'll be peak stupid if Doge hits a dollar. I'm just saying because that all this means is that retail is coming in and it's a whole new crop of people who have literally not a single idea of what they're doing. Go find them, go try to help them. Yes, you will suffer the slings and arrows, but it's got to be done. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Megan McArdle, uh, asymmetric info on Twitter. She asked the question What is Bitcoin good for? After eight years, the best case I can come up with is that it's jewelry for techno utopians, like they are looking at it. And also, it has some minor side uses as an aid to evading currency controls or hedging against utter disaster. Yeah, it only took her eight years to figure out the very worst possible thing about the system. Eight years it took you. Eight years. Jewelry for techno-utopians? I, I, no. Jewel- oh, God, I don't even want to get into it. At least she had, you know, evading currency controls and hedging against utter disaster is in there. I mean, at least, you know, at least there's that, except I guarantee you that when she used evading currency controls, it's because she's a statist. The one thing that she does say that is correct is hedging against utter disaster. That actually does, that is actual, honest to God, use case for Bitcoin at this point. But techno jewelry and evading currency controls. It's your moral duty to evade currency controls. Sorry, that's just the way that I feel about it. All right, let's see. Um, Who's the genius that decided to call it emotional baggage and not grief case? (laughs) Okay, that's a good one. I like that one, grief case. When I was playing... um, I used to play a lot of Ultima Online when I was much younger and I was I was making a new character and I tried my damnedest to come up with a really good name. And I came up with Griefer Sutherland and lo and behold, that was too many characters for the name uh, for the namespace in that particular game. So I couldn't use it. But I thought Griefer Sutherland was was ballers, man. I might have to bring that back in some way, shape, form, fashion or another. All right, so if you want to help me with uh, growing the show, uh, please do rate, subscribe, share, get the word out. Like uh, retweet, like on my show announcement tweets, you know, like them and, and retweet them. And Maybe like send them to like, you know, if you're still using Facebook, you know, send like just copy the damn tweet. It'll populate in a Facebook post. It'll populate just fine. Uh, they've had that, uh, they've had that tech in place for a while where they can cross read that shit. Um, go to Apple iTunes and give me five-star review. Um, if you can give, uh, reviews on your, uh, you know, your favorite podcast hosting platform, please do. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, a five-star review on Apple iTunes, but that does help. And if you want to spend the time, if you want to give me your time instead of your money, I appreciate that because it helps grow the show. And finally, what I will say is that we'll, come, we'll take it back to Lightning Network. If you want to learn how to use the Lightning Network, then start using the Lightning Network. And one of the easiest ways to do that and support the show at the same time is to listen to my podcast via the Breeze Wallet. Just get, get Breeze, B-R-E-E-Z, B-R-E-E-Z, get the wallet, install it. Fund it, however you're going to fund it. You can just like send Satoshis from wallet to Satoshi or blue wallet or whatever you're using and, you know, fund your, you know, fund your wallet on, uh, on breeze and then go to the podcast because there's a wallet symbol and a microphone symbol. The wallet symbol is your breeze wallet and the microphone symbol. You hit that and it takes you to podcast, go to the search and search for Bitcoin and space dot space dot space dot dot, and stream me Satoshis while you listen.